Oh, hey there. I'm Patrick Fingston. Welcome to our Wednesday live stream slash podcast slash uh, interesting events that we're trying to talk about and, and bring some some interesting conversations and civility and, and discussions to our politics. And uh, we're looking forward to having you along with us uh, this afternoon and uh, talking about some issues facing the state. Uh, we'll talk to Todd Meisch, who's the president and CEO of the uh, Illinois Chamber of Commerce coming up here in just a couple of minutes. And then uh, a little later on, we'll talk to Jim Leach, who's a good friend of mine and the uh, afternoon host on WMAY in uh, Springfield. So he's uh, he's an interesting, um, uh, interesting guy in the world of, of conservative talk radio that's that's kind of dominating the the landscape he he's on the the left side of the fence so i you know i kind of fall on the the just over the right side of the fence he's kind of just over the left side of the fence so we're looking forward to the conversation and i think i think we'll have a, a good chat uh about uh especially darren bailey uh the the republican nominee for governor who's got huge money problems and um uh, you know has has alienated his top donor uh we reported in the newsletter on tuesday that uh, Richard Uline, the billionaire, is uh, not uh, engaged in the campaign at this point, uh, at least financially. Uh, not saying that he won't be, not saying that he can't be, but he isn't right now. And uh, there are numerous thoughts and reasons behind why. Um, I, I think that uh, there are other issues at play in terms of power struggles within the uh, Uline world, uh, though I'm, I'm, uh, we'll see how that plays out, uh, over the next, uh, next couple of weeks and see if the Uline campaign does come in, uh, for, for Bailey at all. And, and if he doesn't, what does it mean? You know, the Bailey campaign filed at the end of June, just after the primary with 360 some thousand dollars, thousand dollars, 360,000 some dollars in the bank. And, uh, the governor who hadn't even put in a, a general election uh, cash infusion had 60 million sitting in the bank. So it, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if Darren Bailey can put together a competent uh, engaged campaign. Uh, and then of course there is comments about abortion uh, that, that were exposed or brought up or, or whatever you want to call it yesterday uh, that uh, he, he kind of said some stupid things in, uh, in 2014 or 2017, pardon me. And, uh, you know, he, the, the Democrats of course have jumped on it. The Chicago media has jumped on it. They're trying to make Darren Bailey sound like some anti-Semite, uh, which, which is just completely, uh, I think silly, uh, you know, and I've been one of the, the biggest Darren Bailey critics there is, uh, especially on the, the right side of the fence, uh, and and I think it's 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 going to be I wrote about it in the newsletter this morning for for subscribers. And, you know, I I think he was what he was trying to do was was do just a simple numbers comparison in terms of the, the six million you know Jews that 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 were killed in the Holocaust and the you know roughly million per year abortions that take place in the United States. And and he he was clumsy and and dumb and really made made himself a uh, a uh, you know he opened himself up to this and I, I doubt that the 2017 Darren Bailey thought that he was going to be running for governor but alas here we are and and 
you know, it's, I, I don't think it's part of some grand issue that, that the Darren Bailey is some Jew hating right wing fringe nut job. There, there are a lot of things to criticize Darren Bailey about. That's not one of them. So uh, more on that coming up. I'm sure uh, Jim Leach and, and I will, uh, we'll, we'll get into that a uh, little, a uh, little later on. Uh, first though, uh, I am pleased to welcome uh, Todd Meisch. He's the president and CEO of the Illinois Chamber of Commerce. Uh, Todd, thanks for hopping on with us. We are uh, excited to have you uh, joining us um, as, we, as we try this new little venture uh, here on the interwebs where we, we're just trying to talk to people, do a little lunch hour uh, uh, conversation and you know, put it out as a podcast too and see if we can, you know, inform and 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 enjoy and and have some good discussions so let me start with you Todd. there there seems to be a um a real divide in the state especially among political types of is is illinois in good business shape post-pandemic or is it in terrible shape post-pandemic and you can imagine which party's in charge and which party isn't and what they're saying from your perspective, from from the chamber's perspective, what is the business environment in Illinois right now, and 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 how how do you rate it? No, it's great, uh, great uh, opening uh, question there, and thanks for having me. Very excited to be here, and congratulations on all that you're doing, uh, getting the word out on a lot of important issues. Uh, but to your question, I would say that I wish there was a really simple answer, but it's pretty complicated. Uh, and I'll go a little bit down a rabbit hole. The notion of does everybody want people to come back to the office post-COVID or do uh, we expect everybody to work from home for the rest of their careers? There's no average. There's no average there. So I wish I could tell you that there's kind of a, you know, a middle ground that explains everything, but there's not. It depends on who you are and where your industry is. So I would say overall, my uh, the feedback I get from members is mostly negative, but you can't ignore the fact that people like Kellogg's wanted to come to Chicago and set up uh, their um, HQ here, uh, but at the same time that Boeing and Caterpillar and Family Video, for those of you in Springfield know well about Family Video, decided, hey, we're out of here. Oh, then there's that, yeah, that Griffin guy as well. Uh, so it's very uneven, and I think it's uh, really wrong for people to try and draw an average. You've got to get deeper than that. you got to know who you're talking to, what the industry is, to really get a full perspective. But I would say, overall, it's still most feedback I get is negative. So obviously, you know, taxes are what, what come into to the conversation uh, with, with most folks. Uh, in, in business, at least, that that there's there's a belief that the taxes and 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 you know workers comp costs are, are what's driving business out of the state. They say, or uh, but you know, it's it's not like Indiana's business taxes are that much better. Maybe the rate is, but there's also the uh, business personal property tax over there. There's you know plenty of taxes in Wisconsin and Iowa and and Missouri too. What what is the reason for for this frustration and this belief in your mind? And is it is it accurate that that the 
that the, that it's hard to run or maintain or keep a business in this state? All right, I'm going to give you two responses. And the first is taxation. It is pretty hard to compare state to state and think you're getting apples to apples, oranges, oranges across the board. Uh, the one tax that I would say that is, is across the board for Illinoisans is the property tax. And we're second highest in the nation. Every once in a while, we even surpass uh, New Jersey in some of those ratings. But everybody is burdened by those uh, high property taxes. And that was our biggest complaint with the governor's program and the Democrats' program about tax relief. We were very happy that they had an impetus for reducing the tax burden, but we think they kind of squandered an opportunity. 1% on groceries, we understand the political, that works well in an ad. Uh, reducing the uh, sales tax um, or the gas tax on a gallon of fuel, that has a lot of political appeal. What they should have done, in my opinion, is that they should have gone, gone ahead and put all of that savings into sustainable property tax relief so people can plan ahead. But here's the last thing. It's tied directly to taxes, which is just faith in what government is going to do tomorrow. What are they going to do six months from now, 18 months from now? We had a pretty good budget. I mean, money's flowing in, but how much of that came from the federal government? How much was it from stimulus checks to individuals that they continue to spend? And what happens when that revenue starts to dry up? There's a lot of sense from my members that the Democrats are going to go straight back to where they always go, which is find another way to raise taxes. That's the real killer. No faith in sustainable fiscal sanity in the state of Illinois. I do appreciate the fact that Democrats have passed a balanced budget. They have mm -hmm. closed the payment gap. Uh, you know, the the state payment cycle is is literally zero yeah, at this is. point. It and, is. and and you know, as someone who worked in state government a decade ago, the the complaints that we heard from you know constituents and and businesses and vendors, et cetera, it it it, it nearly put people out of business. Uh, in in places, so so there's there's clearly credit to be be made in in those those things. But you know, you look at inflation, and and you you know, Mark Batnick likes to talk inflation to me, and and how the spending drove it up. And I my eyes glaze over because I'm I'm clearly a not a math guy or an economics guy. But but obviously the the federal funds. Uh, the Biden bucks that people like to to call them uh, have played a huge role in in helping stabilize revenue, but we've also had stabilized the budget because we've also had more revenue than ever before, fifty billion dollars last year. That number is expected to go down this year. Mm -hmm. Do you believe state government is in a position that it's it's ready to deal with what may be coming? If left to their own devices, without people that watch your show, without uh, voters paying attention, I would say I would have very negative outlook on that. But if people hold the powers that be, their feet to the fire and say, we've experienced fiscal sanity and we like it, but now it's up to you to demonstrate that that's sustainable for more than just one year when the federal government sent us a whole bunch of money. 
So you got to resist all those urges to spend money on programs that are not sustainable, uh, that we need to go ahead and continue to look for efficiencies everywhere we can, and that we hold down expenditures to meet revenues that come on in. Uh, so that's going to be the real test of whoever the next governor is. Uh, the powers that be in the legislature are going to have to demonstrate this is was they're not a one trick pony that uh, we got a whole bunch of money. And boy, we're fiscally uh, conservative because we got that money. Can we do it next year, the year after and the year after? That's what my members want to hear. That's what they want to see is a real plan for them to go ahead and decide, you know, Illinois may be back on track here. You, you mentioned property taxes, you know, and of course the state doesn't charge a, a property tax, which, which, you know, obviously, but, and, and, and anyone that pays those bills to the, the county every year usually, usually knows that too. But we're talking about schools making up 50% of, of most property tax bills. Then you get into your municipalities, counties, library boards, et cetera, that make up that pie. The immediate way to reduce property taxes would be to uh, force school districts to be less reliant on property taxes, which would mean a giant cash infusion uh, that the state doesn't have. So, so what's your what's your answer then to to how we lower property taxes? Because I don't see a simple solution here. Uh, I think that I've got three answers for you. The first uh, two are admittedly temporary and partial answers. But that's the fact that schools are indeed the majority of everybody's property taxes. And there's great support for funding your local schools, your local teachers. But when you look at things like the fact that on a routine basis, a teacher that is going to retire at maybe age 58, maybe 59, uh, gets a three-year escalator that everybody else in the state has to pay for on their pensions that is something that can be and should be uh, addressed right away and does not take constitutional amendment. Uh, my friends in Municipal League put out an array of 10 ideas uh, to address property taxes at their level as well. And I'll be honest, it's a little controversial because it's about first responders. But when you look at the cost of pensions that are the bulk of what uh, units of local government in Chicago and Mayor Lightfoot just put this out there, I think just last week or the week before, she, used to, she said, we're going to dedicate all of our property taxes to pay for pensions. Uh, now, uh, that's not sustainable. So you've got to go in there, and that does not require a constitutional amendment, in my opinion, if you simply say, we're going to honor the uh, commitments we've made, but we simply have to get uh, our system back to sustainable. Then the third thing is you got to look at this Supreme Court. Uh, now, that is a little longer term, and uh, we were surprised, especially up in the second district there. Um, but if you were to flip the Supreme Court, put new people on, and take another look at that constitutional clause that says um, that, you know what, yes, we're going to honor all of our commitments that we've made previously, but moving forward, we're going to do something that's sustainable that taxpayers can afford. I think that's got to go back to the Supreme Court and needs to do so quickly. But shall not be diminished means shall not be diminished. 
Right. I mean, but we're not- okay. But here's the thing: is and again, I've got people in my office who argue with me on this. I believe very strongly: shale might not be diminished means uh, what you've already promised to the date you make any changes moving forward. It does not make any kind of economic, political, or just common sense to say that in the first five minutes of you working for the state of Illinois, we have promised you benefits for the rest of your life. No one believes that. It's out of bounds. Nobody in the private sector gets that. And that is what should be reviewed on that basis. We keep the commitments we've made, but we have not tied our hands to uh, you know changes in perpetuity that are now off the table. I completely reject that argument. So uh, I, I, I wanted to, you know, we only have a couple of minutes left. So I, I wanted to specifically ask you, Todd, about uh, rural, the rural economy. You know, I'm from one of the, the very rural state or rural counties in the state. And, uh, you know, even though I'm a. Which uh, county is that? I grew up in Iroquois County, right on the Indiana border. And, oh, Iroquois uh, County. And, you know, I love Iroquois Which is, which is 95% farmland and like, you know, 10 people. But it's, it's. Uh, it's a really tough place to be right now. And it's not just Iroquois County. It's Vermilion County. It's, you know, it's Edgar County. Just go down the line uh, as, as well as counties that border Kentucky and, and Missouri, et cetera. What, it, what can be done to spur investment in these remarkably uh, challenged areas? Because I, I, I you know, we're talking about low education in most of these uh, most of these these areas. We're talking about, uh, you know, people who aren't farming, which isn't there are fewer by the day. And, and you know, the stories are out there of let's excuse me, <clears throat> let's just move across the border to Indiana where everything's cheaper. So what's the tool? What's the goal? How do we create jobs in some of these areas unless it's just counting on Amazon to drop a, a warehouse somewhere? Well, number one, Amazon dropping a warehouse is not a bad idea at all. <laughs> so those are jobs. They're good paying jobs. And not a lot of people know this. Amazon pays you to go ahead and train you for your next job because they know that not everybody wants to spend the next five years of their life working in an Amazon warehouse. So Amazon is fine. But uh, another example I'll give you, and this is one where, hey, we give the governor real credit, uh, the best economic development piece of legislation that has been enacted in a generation has been the data center incentive bill. And yes, we, we kind of wrote it, so I'm a little partial, but the governor picked it up and it's part of his, uh, you know, his stump speech now. It's been wildly successful. But again, that's, you know, one community really benefits from that. And it's property taxes. It's not tons of jobs. We admit that. But it's property taxes. Boom. They pay a heck of a lot of property taxes. So there's examples where if you go ahead and really be smart about it, you would be great to have one policy that would affect everybody in the state of Illinois uniformly. The reality is you've got to come up with ideas like the data center incentive bill that are targeted to certain areas of the state and make that work for all of us. 
two two more things before I let you go, Todd. The the first on on energy. Obviously, there was talk about brownouts, blackouts, etc. In, in parts of the state when it got really hot this summer, we haven't gotten there yet. Energy costs are going up though, and, and there seems to be less of a focus on uh, nuclear and the, and the hope that that wind and solar and clean energy can uh, can clear things up uh, in terms of uh, of an economic uh, environmental aspect. From from your perspective, you know, obviously, businesses still have to pay their electric bill, uh, but there's also a, an opportunity to uh, grow some of these industries, whether it's wind, whether it's solar, etc. How how do you how do you do that? Where does it fit in, and what kind of challenges are, are businesses facing? Uh, sure. So uh, energy is hugely important to the Illinois Chamber and to Illinois. We have unique energy assets. Uh, and I'll, for full disclosure, we have as many renewable members as we do what I call traditional energy providers. Uh, and renewable is very much part of our future. It's a vital part of our future. However, all you have to do is take a look at Germany, where they're having to pay people to refire coal plants uh, or get the oil uh, burning again uh, because they went too far too fast and they didn't think about the transition. No, not everybody's fighting uh, next door uh, in Ukraine, but it's still a cautionary tale. A lot closer to home, Texas. Who would have thought Texas would have an energy problem? And now people are comparing Texas to California because they went so far, too far, too fast on renewables and didn't think about what the transition was going to really look like. So renewables are our future they're vital, but you've got to get that transition right. And that's why the latest energy bill needs to be repealed and replaced with much more common sense uh, and less political uh, dynamics uh, to get really good energy policy for the state of Illinois. Um I don't know if I've lost you. I'm my I'm muted. That's my fault. I, I'm no having problem. Obamacare uh, uh, flashbacks with repeal and replace language. So, uh, and then just finally, one electoral question, Todd. Uh, you guys were involved in the uh, effort to defeat the the governor's uh, graduated income tax proposal two years ago. There's going to be another uh, difficult economic question out there. Uh, and this one relates to unions in November. The amendment one, as it's being called, which would kind of protect the the union's rights they would say is the chamber taking a position on that where do you where do you stand going into into november we're adamantly opposed there's a huge contrast between the last constitutional amendment we enacted with 80 percent support from illinoisans which was put transportation dollars into a lockbox and you can call it something else if you want to but that means that if we promise that you're going to send us more money to fix our roads and bridges and fund transit and our waterways and our airports, that's what we're going to spend our money on. That's pro-consumer, that's pro-taxpayer, it's pro-business. And labor was right there with us. And to be honest, they carried a heck of a lot of water to make sure we got that 80%. This is completely different in that this is economic, uh, eliminating economic opportunity for not just this generation of workers in Illinois, but for the foreseeable future that says, you know what, uh, we're going to put in the Constitution that if you want to work in an entity 
uh, that is unionized, but you don't necessarily want to join the union, uh, you, you're crap out of luck. Uh, because the Constitution says you've got to go ahead and do that. When the fact that we're surrounded by state right-to-work states, Missouri's in and out, uh, they can't decide exactly what they're going to do. But when uh, Michigan goes right-to-work uh, and Illinois isn't, well, then why would you shut the door? It's simply closing down economic opportunities, not just for this generation of workers, but for future generations. That's why we're adamantly opposed to Todd Meisch from the Illinois Chamber of Commerce, president and CEO of the uh, Illinois Chamber. Todd, thanks so much for the the conversation and uh, and taking the time for us today. I uh, really appreciate it, and 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 thanks for hopping on. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right. So that's the uh, Illinois Chamber of Commerce. That's Todd Meisch, who's uh, their president and CEO. I uh, have uh, enjoyed that conversation and and getting his uh, his perspective. I'm going to jump in now with uh, a little bit of an opinion side to some of that. Not that he didn't have any opinions, uh, <laughs> but but we welcome Jim Leach. He's the afternoon host uh, on WMAY in Springfield, uh, the talk station there, and a uh, friend of mine. And he occasionally asks me to uh, hop on and uh, fill in for him on occasion. So, uh, Jim, uh, welcome, first of all. Um, I, I, I want to start with Darren Bailey because that's everybody's uh, hearts are a flutter with Darren Bailey at this point because they're they're uh, they're jumping to the conclusion that because he said something stupid, trying to compare some numbers in 2017, which never compare anything to the Holocaust, just rule number one in politics. But 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 two, um, they're jumping to the, the conclusion that he is anti-Semitic, that he hates Jews. And I, I have a I have a really hard time making that connection from someone that sees things a little more to the left side of the the arena. How do you take what came out about Bailey and the reaction to it? Well, as you might imagine, Patrick, this was a, a hot topic on my program yesterday as well. And I, I came to the same conclusion you did, uh, that it's a stretch to infer from this that Darren Bailey is, quote, anti-Semitic. The, the problem he's got, of course, is that the rhetoric of, of downplaying or minimizing the Holocaust or saying that other things are much worse than the Holocaust is the rhetoric of anti-Semites historically. And, and when uh, Darren Bailey has been out... Uh, campaigning with and courting the favor of uh, candidates like Mary Miller, uh, who, of course, is infamous for having said, you know, that, that Hitler was right about one thing. Uh, it becomes a, a lot tougher for him to, you know, really counteract the allegation that it is somehow inherently anti-Semitic uh, to make the claim that he made. I, I think the bigger problem politically for him, though, is that uh, you know, when you're comparing the Holocaust, which was you know Adolf Hitler just single-mindedly seeking the extermination of entire race of people based upon their religion and their beliefs, uh, and you compare that to abortion, and every woman's story is so individual, uh, it's not driven by hate, it's not driven by megalomania, it's driven by you know any number of factors, uh, her own health, or that she's in an abusive relationship, or that she was raped, or whatever it might be. And to in any way equate the two is, is enormously problematic, especially in a blue state like Illinois. Well, and the, the issue here, I think, that, that we're seeing is that J.B. Pritzker is among the 22% of Illinoisans that if, if you believe the the Ogden and Fry poll from a, a month or two ago, the 22 percent of, of Illinoisans that believe in 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 no limits to abortion under any circumstance. And 
uh, Bailey, who who is starting to soften a little bit on the exceptions, is part of that fourteen percent of of the the electorate that believes there there should be no abortion and no lim- and, and no exceptions. Period. The problem is the rest of us fall in the middle two thirds of that. That's the majority, and and you know you can be someone like like me and and I. I um, you know, I always say my position hardened a little bit when I heard our baby's heartbeat for the first time that, that you couldn't, you couldn't then convince me that that wasn't a life. And that was a life that, that had to be protected. But, but I also understand that there are so many situations that, that are different than that. Um, and I think that the majority of people, like even, even the pro-choice uh, normal pro-choice people don't want to see uh, an abortion at at eight months or eight and a half months or partial birth. So what? Why are why did we get stuck with these two guys who are on so far ends of 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 this issue? Well, I, I think the notion, first of all, of abortion in eight months or nine months is really a red herring. It, it just isn't happening unless there is a, a critical medical reason for it. No woman is carrying her pregnancy to uh, eight months and three weeks and then saying, you know what, I want an abortion after all. And no doctor is going to perform an abortion under the circumstances. So I think that is a, a huge red herring that gets tossed around a lot by the the anti-abortion crowd uh, to make it sound like something that it really isn't, uh, you know, and uh, I I, I don't know. I uh, I feel like the, the governor's position on this is probably more in line with the majority of Illinoisans who really think this is something best left up to a woman, to her doctor, to her partner, to her uh, spiritual advisor, if that's the path she chooses to go. Uh, and to make those decisions. But I, as I said, the notion that uh, uh, J.B. Pritzker is advocating for, hey, let a woman come in at nine months of pregnancy and, and have the baby aborted, it's just not something that's happening. But there have been. I mean, there have been discussions about, you know, where that viability starts and, and you know, late-term abortion or... or yeah, but viability or, isn't at nine months. Viability is at no, three months and four no. months. That's... But I mean, but that's where you see the 22 weeks, you know, or, or you know, where where some of these states have, have put a, a late term ban. And I, I, I don't I don't think that there are people who are carrying a child for eight and a half months that are then having an abortion. But but unless, again, you've got a situation where where the baby is not going to survive, where the woman's life is or her health is in danger, where it might mean she can't have another pregnancy ever again. And there might Absolutely. be that situation. And those are agonizing situations that no one wants to find themselves in. But are, is it really anybody else's place to make that decision for the woman and for her doctor? Well, and there's no mainstream person, whether they're right of center or left of center, that looks at, you know, the case in, in Ohio slash Indiana where the the little girl who was nine years old at the time was raped and got pregnant, there's there's no reason to force that child to have a child. That's 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 clearly a, a, an issue and exception that anyone should have. Well, so the, I think my point is that there's, there's a lot of people that don't make that an exception in that case, and, and we've heard from a lot of them in the course of this campaign season around the country. And and I and and you're right, and I think that goes back to the the fact that Republicans are just nominating people who are way too far right to, especially when in states like Illinois. But uh, but then you know you you run to the right in those primaries, and and you're getting you know nut job policies and and people in the Indiana legislature who are, you know, booing the governor because he doesn't 
want to, you know, force a woman who was raped to have a, a child. You know, it's 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 frustrating that that this is such a political issue for something that is so emotional because the the more that we bring emotion into politics the less that we get anything done clearly but it has to be a political issue because it's politicians that are setting the policies for this and making the decisions on it uh, and that's why i think pro-choice people feel like this is something best left to the individual to make that decision based upon their their own circumstances but that's you know again that's something that's going to be sorted out through the legislatures and and through the courts and and a governor is going to have a big say in that so circling back to Bailey, you know, he, these are, these are unforced errors. He's, he's trying his, he's trying on his own to not step in it. Now it, it doesn't help that he stepped in it in 2017 and somebody found that video and, you know, maybe the Irvin campaign had it, maybe they didn't, but you know, you could have run that in an ad and say somebody's completely unelectable, but is, is there a shot in, I mean, you're, you're hearing from, you're hearing from a lot of conservative callers on your show. And I, I've yelled at a few of them. Uh, you know, some guy who tried to tell me that, uh, Donald Trump would be reinstalled as president before 2024. I mean, I, I, I hung up on him and yelled because I'm done with, I'm done with stupid, but, uh, but down, you know, downstate, there's a, there's a belief that, J.B. Pritzker is out of line with them and and in the suburbs and in the city, you know, up here, it's it's the other side. It's that J.B. or that Darren Bailey is a, a hayseed hick who's who's completely out of touch. Clearly, the population will will dictate something. But do you see any path for Bailey at this point? Well, uh, the last few years have taught us that nothing is impossible or out of the, the realm of uh being <laughs> willed into uh, into reality, uh, given the right circumstances here. But historically, obviously, uh, Illinois tends to elect Republicans statewide who are more moderate or at least position themselves as more moderate, like Bruce Rauner did in, in 2014. He governed somewhat differently than what he campaigned. Uh, Darren Bailey, uh, I, you know, I've been racking my brain to think of a, a more conservative gubernatorial nominee in this state in my memory, and I can't come up with one. So I, I, I think that, you know, immediately puts him, uh, you know, with a real uphill climb. Uh, you know, obviously a lot can happen between now and November. And the governor's got his own problems. DCFS, the Department of, of Human Services, the Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, There's some real you know, challenges there uh, in terms of how the administration is, is carrying out the day to day governance of the state. Uh, and so every day that J.B. Pritzker can make it about Darren Bailey's foot in his mouth, as opposed to some of the problems that are happening at various state agencies and things, is a good day for J.B. Pritzker politically. Uh, anything is possible in politics, but uh, Senator Bailey is going to need a, a, a lot fewer unforced errors and a lot more focus on real issues if he wants to have a chance at all. From from someone on the left side of the street, is is J.B. Pritzker doing a good job as governor? Well, uh, I, I think, uh, as I said, you know, I, I, I know a, a lot of people have very 
well-founded concerns about agencies like DCFS, and it, it doesn't seem to be getting better, and there's not any change happening in the management there. Here in Sangamon County, we're dealing with the continuing problem of county jail inmates who have been found mentally unfit to stand trial, should be transferred to psychiatric care, but they're staying in the county jail at enormous expense and enormous risk to themselves and to jailers. Uh, and, and that's a situation that's not getting better. So, so those are, are very real problems. On the other hand, if you think about things like, you know, you believe women should have some autonomy over their own medical decisions, or you believe that same-sex marriage should be protected in the state, or you, you thought it was a good idea that we're not going around busting people for possessing small amounts of marijuana, I, I think you'd say, yeah, he, he's done a pretty good job. He delivered on promises. He's uh, uh, done the things that you would expect a progressive governor to do in Illinois. Uh, and so in that regard, I, I think, you know, J.B. Pritzker's base is is still pretty well with him. And it's a blue state. I, I mean, if people can try to argue otherwise, but the reality is Illinois is a blue state. And if you are a blue governor who is doing the things you said you were going to do, you're already, you know, more than halfway home at that point. Springfield is, I, I think it's safe to say there are parts of Springfield, at least, that are struggling. Uh, you know, you don't have to be in downtown Springfield very long to see that there's nobody there, that state government has been hollowed out. Uh, the state couldn't even give me a figure when I asked about how many employees are are still working from home. Um, when when you look at what should be the hub of government in in the state capitol and, and you see the uh, transfer of, of so many of these jobs north and another two office buildings that have now been purchased by the state. Uh, what What's the feeling in, in Springfield about government today and, and, and whether it's kind of feeling a little bit abandoned? Well, it's not a new phenomenon that's been, you know, going on really since the days of Jim Thompson, the, the gradual realignment of state government uh, uh, transitioning away from Springfield towards Chicago. Uh, I think that, you know, around here, the people who either work for the state or have spouses or children or parents or whatever that work for the state uh, still uh, prefer the the Pritzker approach to you know union contracts and things his relationship with AFSCME as compared to Bruce Rauner and so I think they're concerned about what might happen if we were to go back to a more uh, Rounerite philosophy on that uh, I don't know that Sarah, uh, Senator Bailey has talked a lot about you know how he would deal with AFSCME or what his approach would be to that but I think there are some real real qualms about that yeah there's no doubt that uh, everybody in Springfield would be a lot happier if we had a more robust state workforce if they were in their offices in downtown Springfield, bolstering downtown businesses and, and contributing to the economy the way they did several decades ago. But like I said, that, that's not anything new, and I don't know that that's going to ultimately be a deciding factor in a race for governor. Jim Leach from WMAY in Springfield. Uh, Jim, where do people find you online? Where do they listen to your show? And uh, give them all the details. Uh, we'd love to have everyone uh, check us out at WMAY.com for local and regional news in Springfield and central Illinois. And of course, uh, streaming. Uh, we have uh, local talk morning, afternoon, evening, uh, streaming at WMAY.com. And we have a WMAY mobile app as well. And I also will uh, put in the, the plug to encourage people to check out the Illinois newsletter and to check well, out you. Patrick's commentary and to listen when Patrick does fill in for us occasionally, always does a great job. So uh, I appreciate very much the opportunity to have some time here online with you, Patrick. And I'll be there Friday. 
uh, yep, as luck would have it. it. So we're we're going to talk to the Turner Caucus, uh, Doris <laughs> Turner and Sally Turner at the same, not the same time, back to back, but uh, and then uh, Comptroller Mendoza, I think, will jump on too. So it's going to be great. Uh, we'll have fun. We'll have fun on your station uh, uh, on Friday, and then I'll be there Monday and Wednesday next week too. So Jim Leach, yeah. thanks so much. Appreciate it, my friend. Have a yeah, have a good you. have a good rest of your day. Take care. All right. So appreciate uh, you taking time with us today. Uh, you know, obviously there are complicated issues out there and they're not going to get solved overnight. Um, and, and, but they're also not going to get solved by shouting at each other. And, and I think that that's, you know, you look at the abortion discussion and, and obviously, you know, I think it's safe to say that the Jim and I look at that, that issue a little bit differently and, and that's, and that's fine. We're, we're allowed to be grownups and disagree. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, his opinions and his experience are, are of no value. It doesn't mean that my opinions and my experience are of no value. It, it, and, and when it comes to abortion or taxes or spending or the economy or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we're no better when we don't have conversations with people who, who disagree with us. So, so get out of your echo chamber, you know, the, the, the Facebook echo chamber of people who think that, exactly like you or even more extreme to a certain side as you listen to the other side once in a while. And, and I feel smarter when I listen to the other side sometimes, and uh, sometimes feel dumber when I listen to my own side sometimes. So, you know, we don't, we don't do better. We don't get better unless we start doing some things together. And, that's that's my encouragement out of this this Bailey thing specifically is not everything is the most dramatic you know end of the world extreme position and 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 that's I think you know there are plenty of reasons to criticize Darren Bailey uh, but but calling him you know an anti semite over you know, over a, a comment that he made, you know, in a dumb comment and, and a, a poorly, a poorly executed comment, you know, I don't think these Chicago liberal activists, you know, Terry Cosgrove types are the ones that can tell us what's in Darren Bailey's heart and mind. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, drop us a note, uh, mailbag at the Illinois.com, the Illinois.com. And, uh, you know, we're uh, we would love to have you uh, join as a uh, free or paid subscriber on uh, to the newsletter at theillinois.com and uh, let us know what what you want to hear, what you think of this. I'm I'm interested in in making this better and, and having a, a good conversation with with you all each week. So thanks so much for joining us. Have a have a great day and uh, we'll talk to you soon on the Illinois.